Oh. What's up, everybody? We're back. Week eight of the college football season. It's week eight, right? Yes. It's week eight. Okay. All right. I, I lose track and, you know, a lot of, lot of craziness going on on Saturdays, sometimes Fridays. So it is week eight. I'm Nick DeLuca. Jimmy Sullivan across across from me. Jimmy, how, how we doing? Oh, we're doing on, great. On a fine Wednesday. We're doing great. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. I don't know if you got to go outside. You, I really encourage it. It's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's really great. It, I think the, are the, were those the tears of Georgia fans falling from the sky? I think that that that's what it was, right? Yeah, I think it was just God shaking his head at that game. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it's a beautiful day outside. But business is booming over here, man. Everything's good, Everything's and I, good. I can't wait to talk some more college football with you for another week. Good, good. Me too. Always always exciting and always a pleasure. So I guess we got to just jump right into it. And a, a shocker. It was it was unbelievable. South Carolina, a 20-17 double overtime victory over Georgia over the weekend. Jimmy, you had Georgia in your college football playoff at the end of the season. I did as well. This was not a game that we anticipated, quite frankly, being close. And yet, somehow, down to their third-string quarterback, South Carolina, Will Muschamp, in a last-ditch effort to try and save his job, pulls off one of the more surprising wins of the college football season this year, certainly, and maybe even in the last couple of years. I remember we were sitting here in week two after Mac Brown worked his week one magic and beat South Carolina, <laughs> our, uh, an old friend of our, our podcast, and we said, we don't think Will Muschamp is the guy to, one, win big games, and, and two, bring a program like South Carolina back to success. Now, of course, success for South Carolina is relative because uh, they their highest level of success was probably when Steve Spurrier was there. That being said, he deserves a lot of credit for this, and, and don't get me wrong, great win for South Carolina, but Georgia's going up against a third-string quarterback for a significant portion of that game. Holinsky for South Carolina, their backup quarterback, gets hurt. So now they're down to their third-string quarterback. Georgia goes into overtime. Yeah, you're tied at 17, but South Carolina literally does not throw the ball in overtime. And Georgia's two possessions, interception, missed field goal from Hot Rod. You have to do better. You have Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift in a good offensive line. You got to do better than that. I mean, you turn it over four times, South Carolina doesn't turn it over. You know, there's there's no reason why Georgia should not have won that game. There's none. And granted, South Carolina deserves credit. Defense played really well, and that's very legitimate, and South Carolina deserves all the credit in the world for that. But with the talent Georgia has, there's no excuse for this. I, I don't know if they were looking ahead because, you know, their schedule ramps up after this, but... Man, you there's no excuse for that. I'm sorry. I mean, this is on Kirby Smart. This is on coaching. I mean, this is on preparation and making sure you're ready to play. And there's no reason why Georgia shouldn't have won. They outgained South Carolina by like 200 yards, and they still lost. So they made all the mistakes. And to me, some of that goes back to Kirby Smart. And granted, he's done a great job at Georgia, you know, leading them to within a couple plays of a national title two years ago. But he deserves some blame for this because – this is a Georgia team that has higher aspirations than squeaking by South Carolina. And I'm sorry, but that's a game like what happened on Saturday. You can make whatever excuse you want. To me, it's just not acceptable. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before the show, and it was really, you can kind of chalk this one up to being a really weird game, right? Georgia outgained South Carolina 468 to 297. Jake Fromm throws for a touch under 300 yards. South Carolina down to their third quarterback doesn't, 
even really throw the ball in the second half. They, they throw for 155, right? Georgia, respectable, rushing the ball, 173 yards. The penalties aren't really an issue, 6 for 60, maybe a little bit more than you want. But you go down the list, they're they're 50% on third down. So you, you go down the list, and the statistics don't really tell the story of, wow, Georgia didn't play well, until you get down to the third to last column, which is turnovers. And that's that's the big deal. Georgia turned the ball over four times. And on one of the turnovers in overtime, South Carolina didn't even make them pay because they ended up missing the field goal that would have won the game in the first overtime. So I, 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 you can blame Kirby Smart, but I thought that overall the plan was okay, and I thought the, the team play-wise was okay. I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm saying it's, it's on Jake Fromm because you got to take care of the football. You throw three interceptions, you lose a fumble on a center exchange, and that's the difference in the game. Right, you talk about it in the NFL. They harp on it all the time. Right, winning the turnover battle because that's very often the predictor and who's going to win the game. When you lose four to nothing, that really, really, really does not bode well for you. Unless you're the Bills playing the Jets. Well, sure, but we, we, you know that's that's a different story, right? But South Carolina only scored one offensive touchdown in two overtimes to boot on top of the the, the sixty minutes of regulation. They only scored one touchdown. So Fromm throws a pick six. Uh, sets up South Carolina in, in good field position a couple of times. And most importantly for South Carolina, who was trying to just play ball control and stop gap defense as best they could because Georgia did move the ball, it gets them off the field. So a turnover is huge against a team that really can't do much offensively, but is just desperately trying to keep you out of field goal range and out of the end zone. So it, uh, to me, the, the biggest culprit here is Jake Fromm. And it's not about how he played necessarily because I thought he, moving the ball, he was fine. I thought some of the throws he made were actually pretty good. But at the end of the day, when you turn the ball over four times, you're the guy touching the ball, and it, wasn't, it weren't any fumbles. It weren't any fumbles that were on his running backs and nobody else. He turned the ball over four times, and you lose to a team that you have no business being in a game with, let alone losing I, I, I pin this on Jake Fromm. He's a guy who, who had to be the catalyst. He was the guy that Georgia was going to depend on, and he was going to take them to the college football playoff and make them a contender and potentially win. This loss is on Jake Fromm. Kirby Smart, maybe some of the blame, but at the end of the day, quarterback touches the ball. You turn it over four times, and that's why you lose. It's on Jake Fromm, in my opinion. And, and let's remember, too, South Carolina gets the ball first in double OT, kicks a field goal. You're Georgia. You're down three. 25 yards to get with Jake Fromm, one of the best quarterbacks, and DeAndre Swift, one of the best running backs in the country. You got to score. I'm sorry. You got to punch that in. I mean, you can blame this. I mean, yes, Blankenship misses a field goal from 42 yards, which is not a gimme for a lot of college kickers, which I think that honestly speaks more to how much we've come to trust Rodrigo Blankenship over the past few years that we're treating a 42 yard field goal like, oh my God, how did you miss that? But a lot of kickers don't make that. But at the end of the day, you got to score anyway because yeah. what? That ties the game. Yeah. You got to punch it in. I mean, I'm sorry. You you just got to punch it in. And after they gave you a gift in the first overtime by missing a field goal that would have won if you threw the interception. Yeah. So you can blame Hot Rod all you want, but they shouldn't have even gotten that opportunity to tie the game there. Yeah. Because I, South Carolina makes a field goal and the game's over. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the stat line. Jake Fromm threw 51 times. I mean, granted, they were behind in the second half, but still, I mean, this is not a Georgia team. Even with how good Jake Fromm has become over the last year or two, there's still not a team that's going to throw it 50, 60 times on you, spread the ball out, throw it deep down the field. That's just not their MO. They're yeah. going to run the ball. They're going to uh, kind of wear you down on the ground, in the trenches. 
Their MO is not, hey, we're going to spread you out and throw for 400 yards. And Jake Fromm goes 28 for 51 for 295, one TD, and three picks. That's not good enough. I'm sorry. I mean, and, and you're right. Yeah, I, I totally agree that you have to pin some of this loss on Jake Fromm. But I think also part of that goes back to game planning. Right? Why are you throwing it 51 times? Even if you're behind 17-3 at the half, you know you have a running game and an offensive line that's good enough to just impose your will on just about anyone in the country at any time. Why wouldn't you stick with the running game after that? But that's just that's just me. I think I would pin this equal parts on Kirby Smart and Jake Fromm, like you said. But I, I don't think we should let Kirby Smart off the hook for this because – I mean, my God, South Carolina. You know, you shouldn't lose to South Carolina. You're a three-touchdown favorite against them. There's no excuse for that. And your schedule is not getting easier from here. You've got Florida in in the neutral site game in a couple of weeks. And, you know, you that game might decide the SEC East. And you lose that game, forget college football playoff. You're not even going to the SEC title game. So it, it's just, to me, that's a game that Georgia had to have. And we all just threw it away. We were like, yeah, Georgia's going to win, you know, 38 to 10 or whatever. Well, I mean, this is a team that lost to North Carolina. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, it's it's a head scratcher for sure. Not something that I anticipated that anybody really anticipated. And, uh, well, I guess credit to Will Muschamp. He got, he got his big win. <laughs> but that's a, that's a devastating loss for Georgia, a team that had college football playoff aspirations. And it looks like. Uh, barring some significant wins down the stretch that they will not get there for a second year in a row. Let's move on to another team that maybe has a chance now to get into the college football playoff, and that's OU, Oklahoma Sooners, a victory in the Red River Showdown last weekend, 34-27 over the Longhorns. There were no horns down present in this game, but regardless, Texas falls to Oklahoma 34-27. So a really odd game in that one, too. It was a weird week in college football because, again, you you talk about, and, and maybe the score at the end of the game doesn't really tell the story, but you talk about the classic Texas-Oklahoma Big 12 showdown. You're thinking points. You're thinking scoring all over the place. And especially in the first half, things things picked up offensively in the second half, right? But in the first half, it's, it's 10-3 going into the locker room. And Oklahoma looks like they have a defense. It was it was an odd game, and, and a couple turnovers really uh, kept Oklahoma from blowing that one open going into the second half. Texas did not look good at all, but uh, another weird game. Regardless, Oklahoma, a big win over Texas. I, I thought for a second I was watching Michigan-Ohio State. I mean, granted, <laughs> the burn orange is kind of a giveaway there, but 10-3 at the half, and you know, I, I kept checking. I was like, no, this is this. No, I'm watching the wrong game because uh, the the Oklahoma Texas of my childhood was a, a game like last year, 48-45 or 52-48. You know, it's just up and down the field, constant offense. And there have been some lower scoring games, but when both of these teams are good, that's usually the type of game you see. And you know, Jalen Hurts had one play that was unbelievable, where he put the ball behind his back and he wound up completing a pass. But I didn't think he played an exceptional game per se. I think Oklahoma to be completely honest with you, won this game with their defense. And that's something I never thought I would say in the year 2019, but their defense much, much improved. Texas has some stuff to work on, like you said, but you know, that's a talented Texas offense. I mean, this is, you can say whatever you want about Texas. Sam Ellinger is a really good quarterback and it's a really talented offensive group. And Oklahoma held them down for the most part. And things opened up in the second half a little bit, but you hold the Texas team that talented, that good, to 27 points. I mean, even LSU couldn't do that a few weeks ago. So that's that speaks a lot to Oklahoma. This defense 
is a real difference maker for OU, and I think that has been the missing link over the last couple of years where I look at this Oklahoma team and I say, yeah, they're good enough to win a national championship only because their defense is that much better because they don't have to beat everybody 48-45 anymore. You know, they score 34 points. I didn't think their offense played particularly great, and they're able to win. That's the type of game last year or two years ago Oklahoma loses if their offense plays like that. So hats off to them. Hats off, as always, to Lincoln Riley doing another great job with Jalen Hurts, who's going to be in the Heisman discussion by the end of the year if he stays healthy. And this Oklahoma team, I could very, very easily see them running the table. I think they probably at this point will. And I think you have to look at them as not only for the playoff, but also can they compete with the Clemsons and the Alabamas and the best teams in the country? Because with this defense, I really think they can. Yeah, you, you go one of the, the most striking things when you go back to Texas's win over LSU. Uh, let me backtrack there a second. LSU's win over Texas, right? But that game was really close. And what was what stood out to me is that, you know, a few plays here or there, that, that game could have gone either way. Oklahoma, in particular on defense, dominated the line of scrimmage. They, they sacked Ellinger eight times. That, that to me, is, is unbelievable, right? That's not the defense that we're accustomed to seeing from OU. And to see them dominate on the line of scrimmage the way perhaps an LSU didn't, again, you're trying to, to look at different matchups here, but that was, to me, the most far and away impressive thing about the entire day. They, they hold Texas to 310 total yards, which doesn't happen. Ellinger, as you said, is, he's, he's a really good player, right? And, and that's not to be mistaken. And this, this Texas offense is for real. Ellinger goes 26 of 38 for 210 yards, Damn. QBR of, of 35. So this, this OU defense is a little bit different from what we've seen the last couple of years. They look a little bit better. Now, again, in the second half, they, they did not keep up uh, the efficiency with, with, with which they played in the first half. But I, I was really impressed. And yes, Jalen Hurts, you're right, did not play as well as we're accustomed to see, as accustomed to seeing him play. And the OU offense wasn't as inspiring as we're used to seeing. But Texas just got some good players on that defense too. So it was it was a bit of a throwback matchup in terms of watching the Big Twelve, seeing teams a little bit more competent on defense. The only guy who was really outstanding for for both teams on offense was CeeDee Lamb. That was the only guy. Ten receptions, 171 yards, and three touchdowns. Texas had no answer for that guy. But otherwise, um, you know, it, it was a close game. Oklahoma got to got to make sure that you, you get the turnovers where they need to be. A couple of early turnovers by Jalen Hurts. Uh, one throwing back across his body into the end zone. He got picked off. He also fumbled after something on the order of a 25-30 yard run. So he's got to take care of the football a little bit better. That maybe attributes for this game being closer than it maybe should have been. But again, a strong showing by Oklahoma, and you have to be excited and impressed about a defense that showed up that we haven't seen show up that way in really the entirety of Lincoln Riley's career at Oklahoma. It's been a couple years. So let's move on to Florida LSU. That was probably, I guess, what we thought was going to be the, the most impactful matchup of the weekend. Uh, did not anticipate a Georgia-South Carolina loss, uh, but here we are. So Florida, LSU, where in Death Valley, opponents' dreams come to die, Go as said by Ed Orgeron, right? LSU squeaks out the victory, uh, 42-28. 
So, again, uh, uh, I was really impressed by the way Florida came in. I thought that this game was going to be much more of a blowout and, and much less competitive, but was uh, was really impressed by Trask in that Florida offense. Was kind of surprised at how poor the, both defenses played, especially, again, as the game went on in the second half. But uh, a credit to both of these offenses. It's We were talking again before the show that it's a little bit odd to see the way that college football is progressing because you've got – a bunch of teams that you're accustomed to see play really, really good defense. LSU historically played great defense. Florida, great defense. Alabama, even great defense. And now we're talking about this this collision course that LSU and Alabama are on, and it's going to be like, okay, who can hold the other opponent under 40? So that that's a, a bit of a change and really impressed, again, with Joe Burrow. Kyle Trask, I thought, played really well, but Joe Burrow was absolutely outstanding. And I think right now he's the Heisman frontrunner. Joe Burrow played nearly a perfect game. I mean, 21 of 24, 293 yards, three scores, no picks. I don't know how you can ask him to play a lot better than that. And, you know, it's funny you you bring that up about the traditional powers of college football. LSU Alabama is going to be weird in a couple of weeks. You know, the first year I was really into college football was 2011, and that was the year LSU went in there and beat Alabama 9-6. Then... They've come a long way from nine to six. Yeah. This is going to be you know thirty nine thirty six or something like that. But Joe Burrow, absolutely tremendous. You know I think he's you know a top five quarterback in college football right now. He's a top five quarterback in the draft. He was absolutely outstanding. Uh, but I was impressed by Florida, and and I really believe having seen now Florida do this for a couple of weeks, that game against Georgia, they could win the SEC East. They could go to the SEC title game. I mean they are really good enough to be able to do that. Their defense struggled this week against LSU. That was the best offense they had seen all year. But other than that, their defense has played really well. Kyle Trask has been really impressive, especially in the last couple of weeks. He's shown that he can be more than a game manager, per se. So I think that's really impressive to see out of him. But this Florida team, I mean, credit to Dan Mullen over the last couple of years. You know, last year they won 10 games and they went to the Peach Bowl. And we all kind of thought it was a fluke because they kind of just finessed their way into it without having to play an SEC title game or having to beat any really good opponents. But this Florida team, this team's for real, and this program is for real. And credit to Dan Mullen on that. He's doing a great job over there. And, you know, look, I mean, an 11-1 Florida team gets to the SEC title game, beats an Alabama or an LSU, it's not out of the question to have them in the playoff. I mean, is it a bit of a stretch right now? Yeah, because there's so many undefeated teams still. But Florida's really good. But LSU also showed that they can play with anybody, too. And now LSU is the second-ranked team in the country. Alabama LSU were 1-2. That could be a game of the century in a couple of weeks if they stay that way. So, obviously, you have to look ahead to that. There are concerns I think you have to have about LSU's defense just because, you know, they kind of got dominated, not dominated defensively, but they got they got to hand it to them a little bit on the line of scrimmage. And, and that's not something you're used to seeing out of LSU. But the thing is, their, de- their offense this year has been so good that none of that has mattered. I think it gets the top teams in the country, it will matter. But this LSU offense is unlike anything I've seen out of them in a very long time. And if I would have told you coming into this year that the top-scoring offense in college football at this point in the year would be LSU... I think you would have like kicked me out of this room. So that's that's a credit to Joe Brady. It's a credit to Ed Orgeron and and most of all, I think Joe Burrow, who who was a decent quarterback last year, and now he has emerged as a bona fide Heisman contender. And you think he's a Heisman front runner, and I think he's up there as well because he's been he's been incredible. Look, I, I never would have kicked you out of the room, but it, it would have come close. I I understand your sentiment. LSU had 511 yards of total offense. 
that doesn't happen against Florida. No. It just doesn't. And they are probably the one team that you had the least question about in terms of how good that defense really is. Because LSU had shown flashes of, ah, we didn't really play well against Texas. And Alabama in spots has not played great defense, right? You're talking about SEC teams. This is the first time to me that Florida has blinked on defense. And, again, Joe Burrow, as you said, played nearly a perfect game. And I, I was looking to see, oh, well, how'd they, how'd they do on third down? Because I, I was trying to think. I couldn't really remember too many big third down situations. It's because they didn't get there. They only had four third downs. I, th- this, this offense is just unbelievable, and it's, not, it's just not what you see. They ran the ball really well, too. 218 yards rushing, so really good complimentary football. But Florida just does not get beat that way. Uh, on both the ground and in the air, and and Joe Brady has done an absolutely unbelievable job, and he has been enabled by Joe Burrow being absolutely fantastic. So, look, Alabama hasn't really played anybody, uh, and LSU has played a couple of good teams, but that that matchup between those two in a couple weeks is going to be really darn interesting because – if you don't think that LSU can beat Alabama, I think you're sadly mistaken because that is this LSU team with this offense is really, really good. And we'll see. It's still Nick Saban, and it's still it's still the behemoth that is Alabama. But LSU looks really, really good, and I was really impressed with the way they played in particular against a Florida defense that is really good. And, and what I just realized, too, when you said that, both of these teams are 1-2 in the country right now. In the history of this podcast, we have never had a 1-2 matchup in the regular season. No. It's always been regular, you know, it's always been national title games we're talking about. So that could be an interesting week for us just in a couple of weeks if that game is what we think it's going to mean in, in a couple of weeks in that first Saturday in November when they go when they go down to Tuscaloosa. But yeah, I mean LSU is I'm t- I'm telling you this right now, they they can win a national championship and their chances are as good as anybody because they can go in, they can beat Alabama, they can move the ball on their defense. We don't know what Alabama's defense is going to do. Could they be the typical Alabama defense that gives up 10 points and kind of crushes your soul? Yeah. But what proof do we have that that's going to happen? We don't know. We, we're not there with Alabama's defense. The same way we're not there with LSU's defense, by the way, because they've had a couple of very iffy performances against better teams, and Alabama has a really good offense with Jerry Judy, who's the best wide receiver in the country, and Tua Tagovailoa, who might win the Heisman. So that'll be interesting to see as well, but that's a matchup. that This reminds me so much of 2011, but everything is flipped. Right, it, that year you had two great defenses and and great teams. Obviously, this year it's the offenses. This year it's the scoring. It's going up and down the field. And now, like you said before, it's a matter of which defense can get one stop, as opposed to which offense can score first or which offense can get a touchdown. We're just not there anymore. But that's a credit to how these programs have evolved with college football. Because uh, you could have never seen this ten years ago, where you say, "Yeah, Nick Saban." And LSU, now coached by Ed Orgeron, yeah, they're going to be the two best teams in the country, but they're also going to score like 40 points a game. That No, that it, it, no, you, you didn't believe that was possible 10 years ago. Now you do because it's a reality, and they've got two of the best quarterbacks in the country, two of the best offenses in the country, and I want to see them show down both undefeated because I think that could be a great game. And the difference is, right, Kyle Trask, who did play well for Florida, 23 of 39, 310 yards and three touchdowns and 83 QBR, right? He's not Tua. Nope. So, so Tua uh, should have potentially a favorable matchup, and that's a really, really good Alabama offense. So we can only sit here and wait and hope that both of those teams are undefeated because that's going to be one heck of a matchup. So let's move to this week. Uh, not 
as compelling a couple of matchups that are uh, in the conversation or, or could have potential implications for us going forward. That starts with Penn State and Michigan, and you know where I stand on Michigan. I think Jimmy is kind of jumped ship here. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but Penn State, Michigan, who you got, Jimmy? Well, you threw me a curveball. I really thought we were going to talk Tennessee, Alabama. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, it's got to be Penn State. It, one year in in State College, which is one of the toughest environments to play in in the country. So that that is already working against Michigan. Uh, Michigan did this two years ago. They went into State College. It was kind of a similar matchup in the rankings. I don't remember what exactly it was, but this year it's Michigan 15, Penn State 7. Um, and Penn State went in undefeated. And Michigan's uh, and Penn State's doing the same this year. Michigan comes in with the one loss to Wisconsin. No, it's got to be Penn State. I mean, Michigan's offense has looked uh, nothing short of abysmal this season. Um, Shea, Peter, uh, Shea Peterman, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Shea, Shea Patterson has looked terrible. Um, they beat Illinois last week, but they let them come back in the game. I mean, it was kind of a look ahead. Shea Patterson threw three touchdowns. See, i got to watch myself now. But he only completed 50% of his passes. It's not like he's playing well. Uh, it's a Penn State defense that's really good. And this Penn State team also has to look ahead at college football playoff national championship aspirations because they're interesting. But no, it has to be Penn State. I mean, I don't know how you look at this game. And, and this is probably going to sound dramatic because Penn State's not like a huge favorite. But it's got to be them. It's It's got to be them, right? I mean, they went into Iowa. They won a tough game last week where their offense didn't play well. Their defense kind of bailed them out. But, yeah, you, it's got to be Penn State, right? I mean, they're a better team. I don't think this Michigan team's that good. And I think if Penn State gets ahead early in this game, Michigan's offense is not built to come back. And and that's not from a dramatic margin. That's from, like, 14 points. We're not even talking, like, four or five touchdowns. But, no, it's, it's I'll take Penn State easily. Um, well, what do I want as a score? Uh, 35 to 20. That'll be, that'll be my score. I think it'll be more competitive than the Wisconsin game, but I, I, don't, I don't see Michigan winning. Now, Penn State has not played the strongest opponents so far on their schedule. Iowa is, is a legitimate team that they beat on the road, right? So they, they haven't played the, the, the toughest competition, but we'll throw that competition out the window for a second. They're allowing eight points a game. Mm-hmm. And Michigan's offense, man, I, I, if they're playing any competent defense, what do, what do we expect? I just I've I've talked about it at nauseum on this show, but what do we expect? Michigan's offense is terrible. And it's Shea Peterman, Shea Patterson, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Clown. I don't know what it is, but they can't figure it out. And I have no confidence in that team on the road at Beaver Stadium, one of the best environments in college football, that now all of a sudden, against a defense that's giving up eight points a game, now they're going to figure it out. I don't. They're not going to. And so quit asking. But it, it's it's just it's, it's reality. And I don't know where Michigan goes. We've talked about that because it's just like there's no way that I should feel this way going into this game. But – I, I I just don't know how Michigan's going to score. If they score a touchdown, I might actually be surprised on Saturday. <laughs> Can we take a bet on like, that for I don't next know. week? I, I, I really don't know whether I should be or not because that should be the most – forget betting on the game. Forget the nine-point spread. How about will Michigan score a touchdown because their offense is that bad? I think they have to. I, I think it will be the type of thing, too, where in garbage time they could steal one for sure. Uh, maybe. 
But will will they screw that up too? Yeah. Well, uh, Patterson's been brutal. But that's season, that's yeah. the thing. So I just don't know how Michigan could put together an offensive performance that would beat Penn State on the road for, and, for Michigan. And I'm a little wary of Penn State only because of the competition. Right. I, I don't know where you. they're at right now either. That's why I went a little conservative on the final score projection because I'm not 100% sure that Penn State is a top 10 caliber team in the country, and we're going to find that out in the last six weeks of the season. But from what you've seen from Michigan and what you've seen from Penn State, how do you pick Michigan? That just doesn't make sense to me. I, no. I don't think I don't think that's possible. And they've, their offense is brutal. It's terrible. It's stuck in 1973. Their defense is not good enough to bail it out unless you know, you're know in a game like Iowa where, yeah, they, they were able to. But not most times and not against good offenses. And Penn State's got a good enough offense to make them pay. They didn't play ball last week against Iowa, but their Iowa's offense got is good really enough. Good defense. And Iowa's got a really good defense. So Penn State's going to score enough. They're going to beat them. And then we'll probably get a little too overhyped about Penn State. But, you know, they beat Michigan. But this is actually a brutal two-game stretch for Michigan because they are at Penn State, and the next week they're home for Michigan, for Notre Dame. Yeah. That's not good. Okay. That, that could be 0-2 right there. Yeah. Well, I don't know how they're going to – we'll, we'll talk about Notre Dame next week, right? But, I don't. again, I don't know how they're going to score. But that's, that's the thing for me because Notre Dame – showed me a lot well maybe they didn't now that they beat Georgia or that Georgia lost to South Carolina again everything's up for a debate but still Georgia's a good team and, and Notre Dame showed me a lot on the road at Georgia I I don't think Michigan stands a chance against Notre Dame I wouldn't even I, I wouldn't even put that yeah I want to see one more week out of both to make sure but yeah especially after a game in Penn State that might be tough that might be demoralizing for them to, to be able to come back and try to win you know, I, I've i been burned in the past for picking Notre Dame, but I feel like we're going to have to next week. If, if this Penn State game plays out like we think it is, I mean, again, how do you pick Michigan? From what I, I you don't see? know how because they I don't can't know. score. And it's, right. it's funny because, again, what have we just been talking about? We're talking about how LSU has an offense, how Alabama has an offense, how Florida now has an offense, how all these teams that are really, really good now have offenses. And Michigan stuck in reverse, in neutral, doing whatever the heck they're doing. They're, they're rolling down the hill the other way because I, they can't score. So good luck on the road against Penn State. I don't even know why we talk about you because you can't score and you're going to lose. So, Can we ban Michigan if they like, uh, lose sure, these next couple why not? games? <laughs> if they don't score a touchdown, they're banned. Uh, that's that's my, my decree. Uh, I, I Penn State's going to win this game, and if they don't, I would be shocked. But uh, maybe Michigan scores a touchdown. Maybe I'll lighten my tone. They'll get to 10 points. They'll get to 10 points, so whatever. But Penn State, the, the, this game, I have no confidence in Michigan on the road. Let's go to Oregon-Washington, probably the, the second-best matchup of the day. Um, two teams that have kind of fallen off, Oregon and Washington, two teams that were in the conversation for the best team in the Pac-12. Utah kind of took that over but then lost. So I'm not sure where we stand with kind of either of these teams, but two teams looking for a legitimate win against the other. Yeah, that that's probably the perfect way to put it. And Oregon, since that Auburn loss, has played well enough. You know, when they start their conference slate, 21-6 over Stanford, 17-7 over Cal, then they blow out Colorado. Um, this is an Oregon team, surprisingly, when you when you think about them just off the top of your head, the first thing that comes to mind is Justin Herbert and the offense because, one, that's kind of the Oregon tradition, and, two, Justin Herbert is going to be a first-round pick in next year's draft. That really has not been the story for them, and, and that's, I think, uh, something of a concern for me. And, yeah, Herbert's played really well, don't get me wrong. But in Pac-12 play, other than that Colorado game, they haven't scored a ton. 
and, and that's a concern for me. But I like the, I like this Oregon team a lot. I think this is an Oregon team that can go to the Rose Bowl. Um, Pac-12 is not getting anybody in the playoff because the Pac-12 is not good enough. But uh, Oregon's defense has played really well this year. This is the best Oregon defense that they've had in a while. Um, I feel like they have to win this game. You know, Washington's a solid team, but you know, I look at Oregon's defense. I look at the way it's played in the Pac-12. They've only allowed one touchdown, I think. I feel like they have to win. I don't think Washington's offense is good enough to overcome that. Uh, Washington, we kind of figured could take a step back this year, and, and that's what happened with, with Jake Browning's graduation. So um, I'm going to go with Oregon. Uh, a lower-scoring game than you would expect, but I, I, would, ha- I would have to go uh, quack-quack and take the Ducks. I, I'm going to agree with you there because Washington's loss to Stanford and earlier in the year to, to Cal really scares me. Right when you lose to a couple of those teams, and yes, they they beat USC, so that's the quality win. But but Oregon and the way that they're playing defense is really impressive to me. Um, I think Colorado again is a, is a by Pac-12 standards a, a pretty good team, and they really took it to them last week. So I'm impressed by by that win. Uh, the spread is three. I think that's about right. I think this is going to be a close game, but I think Justin Herbert, 17 touchdowns, one interception. He makes the difference on offense. Matchup predictor for FPI says it's about 60-40, 60% in favor of Oregon. So that's, I think, the way that you, you lean, even though Oregon's on the road. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I think it might be a little more lopsided. I think Oregon can kind of dominate the line of scrimmage at this game, hold Washington back, score enough points, win a game like a 21-6 to they won against Stanford, maybe with some more points, I think. But I could see it being like 28-14. That will be my final. 28-14, I think Oregon wins. Justin Herbert plays another really good game. And he's a guy who, I don't want to say he's fallen off in some of the draft projections, but I don't feel like we're talking about him nearly as much as we were, you know, at this time six months ago or, or even last year. So he's got a chance to get back into it. Um, this is probably one of the last big games Oregon will have unless they go to the Rose Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or something like that. So... I like Oregon in this game, and I like Oregon as a team. I think they're the best team in the Pac-12, um, and they are a really, really bad and unfortunate loss away uh, against Auburn from being a team that, hey, you know, are we having the discussion? Does a undefeated Pac-12 team make the college football playoff? I don't know, but we're probably not having that discussion now because Oregon blew it down the stretch. Yeah, I I, I agree with, with everything that you just said, and, and look, Oregon, I think, is is a good team. I think they've got uh, again, the defense, as we mentioned, so I, I like them against Washington. Washington scares the crap out of me a little bit, and that's and that's just where we're at with that. But, uh, you know, it should be an interesting game, especially on the road. You never know what can happen. I think that Justin Herbert has fallen off with the draft talk because of the ascension of Joe Burrow. That's just my take. But we will table that discussion for another time. So that'll do it for us from our Rose Hill Studios. Thank you guys so much. Jimmy, it was a pleasure. As always, my friend. It should be another great weekend of college football. Michigan's not going to win. I'm telling you that already. And, you know, freezing cold takes here I come. But you know what? Penn State, book it this weekend. All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Enjoy college football. (laughs) 